The Holy Gospel for this, the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent, is from John chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Please be seated. <clears throat> Grace to all of you and peace from God, our creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Great and glorious kind and loving, compassionate and giving God. We thank you for your spirit at work in us today, working through the musicians here this morning already, through your word proclaimed and soon your sacrament administered. May we receive your presence, O Lord, as surely as the disciples received your presence those many centuries ago. For you are here, alive and well. As you said, when a a seed falls into the earth and dies, it grows and bears much fruit. Your presence is here now, bearing much fruit. And we ask you to be with us, that we might go into the week ahead to be your voice and to be your hands. In Jesus' holy and most blessed name, we pray. Amen. We continue the season of Lent. As you know, it's 40 days long. It's immediately prior to Holy Week. And the season of Lent has its own personality. The personality of Lent includes seriousness. It includes reflection. It includes being honest. It includes confession. It includes simplicity. In our church, we have tried to emphasize that the season of Lent also focuses on what we call the inward journey. Turning inward to our souls to look for the voice of God speaking to us at the very center of our being. We believe that faith life includes going out into the world, but also turning in to find peace within, 
This year, our particular Lenten theme is the theme of to build peace in our world. We live, as you all know, in a world that is extremely polarized. People don't seem to be able to talk to one another with civility. And so we decided that if we're going to be about the business of bringing peace in the world, we start with ourselves by turning inward and figuring out and living out how we can be people of civil discourse in the world. Be an example to the world around us and there will be a kind of trickle-up effect that will touch more and more people. And so we have one of our own church members, Mary Schroeder, wrote six steps of how we can do better at our civil discourse. And so every Sunday during Lent, we have focused on one of those steps. If you've been here for those weeks, week one had to do with pausing and centering oneself before you go into a conversation that might be in some, way, some ways polarized. Think for a moment of the last time you were in a bit of a contentious conversation. I dare say that I suspect that you were being a little more reactive than starting from a calm and centered place. Oftentimes when we are in a conflict, in a difficult conversation, we operate out of our emotions, out of our fear maybe, or maybe out of our anger, or our frustration, or our anxiety. We operate out of something often that is less than calm. So the first step we talked about weeks ago is to be calm, to be centered, to be <sighs> breathe deeply and prepare for a conversation. The next step was to actively listen, to hear what the other person is saying. Now, we haven't said anything yet. We're just getting centered, getting ready. And then we listen to the other person. And we try and figure out what the other person is saying behind the words. Oftentimes, the real meaning is behind the words that people say. Oftentimes, when we are in conversation, we project onto someone else a kind of stereotype. Oh, we know what that person's like, and we know what they're going to say before they even say it. Or we are thinking about what we're going to say in response so we can defeat our opponent. So step two. Step three is to inquire, to clarify. Tell me what you mean by that. I hear you saying that. Step number four, which was discussed last week. I've got to look it up here because I can't always remember them. Finally, we talk at step four. They're all printed on page seven, by the way. To speak. Finally, after the first three steps, we have the obligation, the right, the responsibility to speak our perspective to speak how we understand the truth. To do so not with arrogance, not with a desire to defeat the other person, but simply as a way to share your perspective. So that brings us to today. Um, it's the final Sunday in Lent, the final Sunday of this preaching series, and we have two steps left that Mary Schroeder developed. Step number five is to keep it open. And it says in the text here, be easygoing, leave room for silence, use humor appropriately. You know, another thing I think keep it open might mean, it could mean to consider the possibility that you might be wrong. At the 8 o'clock service, 
I had a lot of elbows being <laughs> moved because we often operate out of a sense, well, if they would just do it the way I do it, then everything would be fine. So keep it open. I don't know if Mary Schroeder intended that, but to keep it open to the possibility that you might be wrong. <laughs> Pastors, you know, I'm a Swede, so I tend to think I'm right all the time. So <laughs> this was really hard for me to say. Most of our time now is going to be spent on the sixth one, sixth step. It's called tone of voice, body language. There have been many studies done that our tone of voice and our body language communicates more than our words do. Isn't that interesting? That our tone of voice and our body language communicate more than our words do. And isn't it true that every one of us here knows what an eye roll means? We all know what it means when someone goes like this and crosses their arms. We all know, well, we preachers all know what happens when someone's yawning in the congregation. We all know what a smile means. We all know what it means when someone leans forward a little bit as they're listening to you. Body language, tone of voice, absolutely critical to civil discourse. And I'm going to move beyond civil discourse now and talk to you a little bit about a deeper level of how I understand body language that I don't think Mary Schroeder intended. But I think body language also includes putting one's body on the line to build peace in our world that we have been about the business of practicing civil discourse here at Holy Spirit for all these weeks of Lent. But we also need to say that sometimes we need to take a step and put our bodies on the line for the building of peace in our world. I think of those high school students who left class for 17 minutes, putting literally their bodies on the line to say, we're afraid. We want our schools to be safe. You adults do something. They did so with courage, putting their bodies on the line to build peace. So I think this sixth step propels us to include civil discourse as a foundation stone for a world of peace, but also to take steps of peace. I think Jesus did exactly that. He taught many things about how to bring peace to our world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. He taught us many things, but Jesus also acted. And that's where we pick up our gospel lesson today. Jesus is on the verge of putting his body on the line in Holy Week. And we get a rare insight into Jesus' to be honest, nervousness. He's got a bit of anxiety in the text today because he knows what it means to confront the powers of Rome and the powers of the temple. And here's what he says. We have this through the centuries, Jesus' own thoughts. Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? 
No. It is for this reason I have come. To paraphrase, Almighty God, it is risky for me to put myself on the line, to put my body into the public realm. It is risky for me to confront Rome. It is risky for me to stand up for those who are marginalized and oppressed. It is risky for me to include the excluded. It is risky for me to confront the authorities of the temple. It's dangerous, Lord. I don't know if I can take up that cross. And then there's a pause, and he reflects on it, and he finds courage, and he says, yes, that's exactly why I came to confront the powers of violence and evil in this world, to bring peace to this world, requires me to take up my cross at this moment. We sometimes think that Jesus took up his cross so that he could go suffer and die. No. Jesus took up his cross, Jesus faced the powers of oppression to bring peace and justice to this world. And because Jesus did that, he was put on a cross. Too often we think we take up our cross almost as if we are called upon to go out there and find some way to suffer. That's not what it means. Or sometimes we think to take up our cross means we carry a burden that is awesome and difficult, but we should do it without complaining. That's not what it means either. To take up the cross means you put your body on the line for justice and peace in our world. It's like the early Christians in the Roman Empire who were martyred in the Colosseum. They put their bodies on the line for their faith. They received the most awful violence and they refused to return violence for violence. Theirs was a step even beyond civil discourse to the point of absorbing the hatred from the world around them. And they're the ones who begin building a world of peace. I think of Abraham Lincoln, who knew that he was putting his body on the line, that he was taking up his cross to confront a society that still permitted slavery. He risked his life to try and create a world without slavery. He knew that he was risking his life. Martin Luther King Jr. took up his cross not to go look for suffering, but to present a dream where people would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He wasn't looking to be assassinated. He was taking up his cross to stand for peace and justice in our time. I can give you one example after another after another. You know people, you know situations who have done just that. That is our calling. That is what this Lenten discipline has been about for us. We are about the business of learning how to talk to one another with civility and grace, but that does not mean we don't stand up for kindness and compassion and peace in our time. There are a lot of kids here today, a lot of students. I'd like to speak to you for a moment because you've been asked to stand up Put your body on the line. Take up your cross as well. And you will do that every time that you see someone in your school who is being teased or bullied or marginalized in any way. And you take the risk, because it is a risk, because of peer pressure, to stand up for that young person who's been marginalized, that person who's been left out. Peer pressure is an awesome 
power. To take up one's cross means sometimes to face that peer pressure. Those of you who are in your careers right now, you've been asked by a superior to do something that you find unethical. Happens all the time. What do you do? What do you do? To take up your cross means you don't look for problems, but it means you take the risk of being ethical even if it might shortcut your career because it is the right thing to do. Those of you who are in families and you have situations that are either abusive or addictive or apathetic and you don't want to risk rocking the boat, to take that risk of challenging things in your own family system may be to take up one's cross. Taking up one's cross is unique to each one of us. You have to sort that out for yourself. So this season, this Lenten season, we learn civil discourse, but we do not leave out acting, taking a step, putting our bodies on the line. The real trick in both civil discourse and in taking the risk of carrying your cross in this world is to do so without demonizing your opponent. That's really the key to both of these. You stand up for peace and love those who oppose you. Abraham Lincoln did that in a few weeks just before he was assassinated in his second inaugural address. He spoke to the entire nation and especially to the people of the Confederacy, the people in the Confederacy who wanted him dead after a war that had cost 750,000 lives which was soon coming to a close instead of vindictiveness or a sense of win-lose. He wanted both sides to renew a sense of commonality. And he says these words that you have heard before, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in. And a little bit later, for the purpose of achieving and cherishing a lasting peace Jesus Christ on the cross said to those who had killed him forgive them they do not know what they do such an attitude in our civil discourse such an attitude in our actions will bring peace on this earth Amen